Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Devin saw the episode first last night and she just emailed like a cryptic. There's something you're going to love. And then Dalton asked me at like 5.15 in the morning if I had watched the episode yet and I just woke up. And then I started watching and then I just wrote to Dalton in capital letters. I'm like, was that effing Helmets off, everyone, at least if your name is Bo-Katan Kreese. And welcome to another exciting edition of the Dagobah Dispatch. We have chapter 21 of The Mandalorian, The Pirate, to talk about. And not only are we going to talk about it, but we are going to talk with Mandalorian executive producers, John Favreau and Dave Filoni. Yes, the powers that be will be here with us. God help them. And as if all that is not enough, we also had the season finale of The Bad Batch. How did season two end up and did it connect any further to what's happening in the live action Star Wars galaxy? The answer is yes. Yes, it did. With a big Rogue One crossover. We'll get into that. We'll get into everything because that's how we do here on the Dagobah Dispatch. I'm Dalton Ross. Just hanging out here on a Delphi base with my co-pilots, Devin Kogan and Lauren Morgan. And I'll tell you, I'm just real rattled with those damn New Republic bureaucrats, Devin. It's, you know, look, <laughs> I, I do love how bureaucratic everything is. I love that we got, you know, one of my biggest questions going into this season was we knew that Tim Meadows was going to show up at some point And, oh, he has a fun role. Just getting to just be like a rubber stamper, like, like um, you know, just so easily manipulated, just like a good guy, but just kind of useless. So... But by the way, shout out to the yeah. ladies' man, which was one of my favorite uh, SNL sketches. I feel like that's been lost <laughs> to time because of the the ladies' man movie, which I always also will kind of like half defend. But Tim Meadows was like a very underappreciated SNL cast member. Was there oh. for like forty eight years? First off, yeah, he was yeah. there for a long, long time too. So I'm glad he gets to pop up here, even if he. Is not helping out it whatsoever. Though also, um, Ilya Kane still trying to do all of her, you yeah. know, subterfuge. Um, in the she's subterfuge. So. All right, so we're yeah. we're gonna get all into the Mandalorian. New episode came out, chapter twenty one. We we got Dave Filoni and John Favreau uh, on the podcast this week, which is super cool. Great to have them back, and then we will get into some Bad Batch stuff as well because it was the season finale, and some big stuff did happen, and it does connect to some other live action Star Wars stuff, like we said. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that as well. But real quickly, you know, I always like to bust out a sweet tweet, right, ladies? Love you a know sweet tweet. If I find a sweet tweet out there, it's getting mentioned on the podcast. <laughs> uh, this week's sweet tweet is actually related to, a, I believe, to a review that we read last year, last week. So last week, we read some reviews that people have been kind enough to leave us over on Apple Podcasts. And if you listen to the podcast and if you uh, want to give back to the podcast, uh, you can give us a review there and we'll read it on the air and give you a shout out. 
So it's a win-win. So someone uh, by the name of Mall Rat, and that's once again, M-A-U-L Rat, which is just so great. I love it. Incredible name. Uh, Left us a review. And Mm -hmm. as part of the review, it said, you know, sometimes you agree with what they're saying. Sometimes you think they're way off. And then there's a parenthetical and it said, especially on the pronunciation of a certain cereal that is spelled (laughs) all caps, C-A-P apostrophe N, then crunch. So, uh, you know, we read the review and Mm. we talked about said cereal a little more. So anyway, then a sweet tweet goes in my inbox. Do they have inboxes on Twitter? Is that the way that works? A mention, I guess, is what it was. And, and. And this, I think it's the same person, um, this guy, Steve Finney, who wrote and said, first off, had to make it clear after my iTunes review confused which side I'm on, because it looked like at first (laughs) Steve was saying, hey, this should be, it's, everyone knows it's called Captain Crunch. Dalton, stop being an idiot and calling it Cap'n Crunch just because it's C-A-P apostrophe N. And the way he wrote it makes it very clear that's the way he feels but now in the sweet tweet he's saying actually no i think i'm more i'm more on the side that it should be cap and crunch not captain crunch now he didn't just say that he he also offered up some exhibit a in in the the court that's right in the court of serial pronunciation he has um you know this is part of the discovery process he's provided this to all sides uh, mm-hmm. And he he has found he has unearthed, if you will, the very first ever commercial that aired for this serial. So let's take a listen to the commercial and see if we get any valuable intel in terms of whether this serial should be pronounced Captain Crunch or Cap'n Crunch. Let's take a listen. Captain Crunch presents Breakfast on the Guppy. <laughs> we need to boost and go just to the all i care about is like the first two words like you, i don't care about anything else you're like an investigator on like a like an fbi show where you're like zoom in and enhance csi <laughs> this is that doesn't and sharpen work. and i'm like that never this works. is as far as i'm concerned this is the no. zapruder tape of uh breakfast morning cereal uh ads uh we're going full zapruder on this all right uh let's let's hear the very beginning of this ad again Crunch presents breakfast okay. on the guppy. I think that's Captain Crunch, ladies. So here's my thing. I'm not arguing that there's a T in Captain because there there's not. But it's something about the way that you pronounce it, Dalton. It's like you add an extra P in there. You're like Captain. Yeah, it sounds like. And it's so weird to me. <laughs> it's not. We're not arguing yeah. that there's a T in Captain Crunch, but it's more like Cap. There's like an apostrophe in there, but you pronounce it as it like Captain, and yeah. it's hilarious to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. I'm just pronouncing it the way it's on the box. That's just, that's I would like to know what what do the current Captain Crunch commercials use as their pronunciation? This is true. Have, yeah, you know. This is true. Because it's like, aye, aye, Captain, which is like, yeah. you know, Normal. there's like, there's no T in there. But it's it's yeah. like, there's something. But something I, about. I still don't, I don't think Dalton is pronouncing it the way it is in the commercial. <laughs> I don't think I so it's like, you know, when people say like button versus button or, yeah. you know, um, but it's, this is my favorite stupid thing. And I hope we continue to argue about this forever. I argued for eight years, eight years on the radio with Jessica Shaw about the Peabody Awards, which she insists <laughs> are called, should be pronounced Peabody. 
Oh. And she and she will not stop. And we've even had we even unearthed evidence of the president of the Peabody Awards pronouncing it Peabody Awards. And Jessica's like, he's wrong. He's, he's it's Peabody. It's and just because there's I think a, I think it's there's a town Peabody, Massachusetts or somewhere. Someone's gonna go. Sure, to this but, is like reminds me of two things that I go uh, with my daughter. I argue about with my daughter. Like the family in Encanto is called Madrigal, and she refuses to admit that they are. She calls them Money Gun, and I'm like, it's not Money Gun, it's Madrigal. We literally had this. Like we keep having this fight. And the other thing is, and this is more me. I haven't corrected her but when we even talk about commercials for some reason she's always pronounced it commercials and so literally and like we've like <laughs> my husband and i just can't correct her because it's too cute so, it's so just good. Like, yeah she just calls everything she's like i saw it on the commercial and I'm like, eventually one of her teachers is going to catch her on it but it's you know amazing. right now we're just letting it be so. Well, shout out to to this this listener for for bringing yep. us this commercial, this Captain Crunch commercial. That's right. Well, yeah, or, yeah. I'm sure our audience is like, "Can we talk about the Mandalorian?" Maybe we should do that now. <laughs> Let's talk about yeah. the the Mandalorian uh, or whatever pronunciation <laughs> sure. we want to give it. Uh, chapter 21, the pirate. I mean, so let's just go big picture in terms of the episode. Then we can sort of go into yeah. some of the nooks and crannies a little bit. But essentially, it's. Uh, Gorian Shard, who I just I'm obsessed with because he's only been in two episodes now, but they say his name a million times. Like they're just <laughs> like so Gorian good. Shard. Remember that name, Gorian Shard, the Pirate King. Like they, mm-hmm. it's like just and like I said, he looks like a, a bad guy from like Pirates of the Caribbean's eight or something. And um, he basically attacks Grief Karga because he won't let his like henchmen drink in a school. I mean, that's really <laughs> seems to be what it comes down to here. <laughs> and so he atta- those pirates are just petty bees. Like I, they're just really bad. You know they are. Um, I also love that they had one of the pirates here was named Vane, and they had a pirate on. What was that Stars pirate show? Black Sails called called Vane as oh. well. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of vain pirates. All right. So anyway, they attack Grief Karga. Grief Karga calls for help. We'll get into the fact that the Republic won't help him. Eventually, uh, Carson Teva goes to and tracks down all the Mandalorians in their not so secret hiding spot <laughs> and is like, hey, do, do, do this dude a solid. Uh, and so they do. And so all the Mandalorians go to Navarro and they they take on the pirate king and they free grief Karga and they decide we're all going to shack up here. Uh, and cause he's given us land and we're coming out of the shadows into the open. Mm-hmm. And then you have the, the armor says to Bo-Katan, Hey, let's, let's, let's meet. Let's, let's have a little chat here. And then she basically says, take off your helmet. You're the one who's going to unite Mandalore. You're the one that's going to bring all the factions together. You're not part of children of the watch. You are going to bring us together with other Mandalorian groups and we're all going to prosper together. And there's other stuff we'll get mm-hmm. into too. And we'll get into the very, very ending in a little bit too. But that, that's the basic structure of the story here, right? Save Grief Karga. Bo-Katan's going to lead us. Um, and now we're coming out of the shadows. Let's just start there. Devin, tell me your thoughts on the episode. I like this episode. Um, it was, you know, just like a nice, solid action story um you know i was glad to see the return of carson tava um you know i i'm glad that the mandalorians are getting away from whatever crappy little planet they've been hanging out on because like 
where did they move? It's like, are they in the middle of, you know, like a, like just, there's all these, there's constantly things from the sky trying to eat them, things from the water trying to eat them. It's like they were like, this is the perfect place to make our new covert. Never mind all the giant, like murderous beasts who are trying to, to eat us. So hopefully there will be like less foundling kidnappings on, on Navarro. So I think this is smart. I'm glad what, they're doing this. Speaking of which, what happened to all like the Mandalorian foundlings? Did they just like disappear again? Like I was watching at three thirty in the morning, so I was a little woozy. But like all of a sudden, we had all these like little mini tiny Jimmy Kimmel nephew Mandalorians. And I came out of nowhere, and weren't they all like gone again, or were they hanging out? They just, you know, they left them with a the babysitter. Yeah, maybe they were hanging in the back of Bo-Katan's ship. Who I didn't think her ship could fit that many people, yeah. but it seemed like it could fit a lot more people than I thought it could. Look, but, Din's yeah, ship can't fit more right. than fit you know, anybody. Yeah, so, <laughs> baby Yoda and you know. a and an astromech. But um, yeah, no, yeah, that that is kind of funny. So I wondered, like, did they have to be like, great, we'll accept the land, we're going to take a quick um, field trip back to pick up all of our many children and then <laughs> yeah. come back. Um, but no, good for them. I'm glad they're finally you know getting a place to live. Um, that's they deserve that. There um, must be it, a Mandalorian grandmother amidst that crew that were, or grandfather who was just like, you know, I'm I'm not going out in the the knees are too creaky i'm just gonna stay here yeah. with the you know the younglings but you know I would watch that spinoff, Mandalorian <laughs> yeah. Babysitter. Um, but as we know, Mandalorians are great babysitters. Look at Din that's and Grogu. True. You know, yeah, this is what true. we've learned. Um, yeah. But no, I, I really like this episode. I mean, I thought this episode was fun. I feel like a lot of the the season has kind of been funny because there's been a, like a lot of plot points. And I think, you know, a lot of viewers have been like, where is this all going? How is this all going to connect? You know, we've got all this stuff about the Mythosaur and, you know, everything that's happening on Coruscant. And, you know, like kind of all these like sort of separate storylines. And here we see them all sort of finally starting to connect. So that's that's kind of, um, you know, an interesting point in the storytelling. Um, you know, I yeah, I dug this episode. What did, what did you guys think? I liked it. I thought I was glad to start. Well, first of all, I was glad Bo got to take her helmet off. And even though right? she seemed to be like is this a trick? Cause it looked like she was like, she's like, I'm going to take my helmet off and then you're going to kill me or something like that. But you know, I'm, I w- I'm glad to see that she, at least Katie Sackhoff gets to walk around without her helmet off. I like to, when I she, when she, that's pleasant. and when she did it through all of them, like the show on the watch, she's like, sup. Like, you know, they're like, wait, why, why does she have her helmet off? She's like, that's right. That's right. <laughs> it did seem like she was a little bit like, Aah. but like when uh, I think it was Pazvazla looked at Mando and Mando just nodded and he was like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, and also but lucky, you know, she just saved his kid. So, yeah. you know, can he really be a jerk about it? So Here's the question, though. Do you think Mando is a little bit like, wait, <laughs> you can... You yeah. can do that? Yeah. Like, you can yeah. be part of both worlds? Like, why can't I do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was totally. a little bit like, like, I love that, you know, um, the armorer was like, you know, you removed your helmet to say a forever goodbye to your your small ward. And that's, yeah. a you know, a punishable sin. But, you know, Bo-Katan, I'm just like, yeah, sure, whatever. Take it off. I don't care. <laughs> Maybe the armor's like, I know you're not really here because you believe in the watch, but you're just kind of alone. So I get it. But go find your other people and bring them back here. And we've got plans to make. So I think that she was just like, but I think also just the fact that she saw the mythosaur and how much, you know, uh, I mean, I think that really made an impression on the armorer. So she's like, well, that's a sign. Well, I I think we all know where this is going, right? I think we all Mm -hmm. see, and we've, we've said this all season long, like, all right, Bo-Katan's going to lead Mandalore and, you know, take the throne and bring it back. I guess the question is, 
do we see that happening in three episodes now? Like, is that our season finale? Like that she sort of brings in another clan over the next three episodes or two and they all join together and they all like, you know, give their version of all hail Bo-Katan and like, you know, throw their arms in the air, or fire up their jetpacks. And is that happening in the next three episodes? Well, I didn't, I, I thought the Minds of Mandalore was going to happen way later in the season. So I, I, I don't really know, but it is like when we're, we talk about the very end of the episode where Carson Teva finds that it seems like Moff Gideon has been taken by Mandalorian mercenaries. And we know that the rest of, uh, Bo-Katan's crew was working at mercenaries. So I'm pretty sure that, you know, Moff Gideon is coming back into this. Cause if you can have Giancarlo Esposito on your show, why don't you like, you know, I mean, obviously that's kind of just an easy move there. So I assume there's going to be, there's co- something coming with Moff Gideon and also the other uh, members of, uh, Bo-Katan's crew and that kind of stuff. So I think there's going to be some conflict. Coming. Lauren, why don't you, why don't you, for those that, that didn't watch the animated shows, why don't you sort of just give a little bit of uh, a history and just sort of um, what you're talking about now in terms of the relationship in terms of some of these Mandalorian clams and the relationship to the empire and how some worked for them and with them and some did not. That's like the one thing is to talk about the history of Mandalorian gets very, very confusing because we have, this is one thing is like, I wish they would actually name Bo-Katan's sister because she was the leader of Mandalore for a while, but she was a pacifist and Bo-Katan did not agree with her pacifist leanings because, you know, most Mandalorians as we see are, are, they're a fighting prone group of people. But um, there was this kind of group death watch that, uh, that Bo-Katan had been working with, but they sort of undermined and like, you know, and that's the thing is the interesting thing with the Vizslas because the Vizslas are all up in that clan is all up in, all of this conflict and stuff like that. So like all of these clans and houses have a, like a big history with fighting with each other or fighting for power, fighting for dominance within Mandalore. So getting any of these clans to kind of like agree to <laughs> with each other is, is kind of a, it's a huge task. And then we also have um, Clan Ren, which is where Sabine Ren from Star Wars Rebels comes in. And we know she's coming in in the Ahsoka show. So I am curious to see if we're going to see parts of Clan Ren come in here. And if we're going to see Sabine at the end of this as like a bridge into, uh, because, you know, Sabine was the person who kind of got the Darksaber and given it to Bo-Katan as to, to lead Mandalore before the Empire destroyed it. So, um, well, I will, I will say in our interview with John Favreau and Dave Filoni that you can hear right after our chat that, uh, I asked him very specifically about with Ahsoka coming up, are we going to see members mm-hmm. of the ghost crew at all? Um, of course they're cagey in their answer. But of course, speaking what? of the ghost crew, uh, in this in this episode, there was a big cameo appearance uh, down at a, a Delphi base. First of all, before we get to that, real quickly, we'll leave people on mm-hmm. their edge of their seat for a second. I love that the entire like Mandalorian creative team was in this bar uh, as rebel oh, yeah. pilots. <laughs> yeah. You know, Dave Filoni as Trapper Wolf was there. <laughs> Rick Famuwa as Job Dodger, and then Deborah Chow yeah, was in there too. The funny thing is, at the time, I didn't even notice the rest of them because I was focused on one specific person in this scene. So I like, like I saw in the credits, I was like, oh, like where were they? Like I didn't. You can see like, Filoni like, had like, like the Filoni hat on. He had like that typical. Yeah, Filoni I was just like, on, yeah. I was like, oh, I should go back and watch it because I was like, I was not paying attention to them. All right, so, so tell us who we saw then, Lauren. I know you were excited. We saw Zeb. Zeb from Star Wars Rebels makes his live action debut, and it was funny because. Uh, 
Devin saw the episode first last night and she just emailed like a cryptic. There's something you're going to love. And then Dalton asked me at like 5.15 in the morning if I had watched the episode yet. And I just woke up. And then um, I started watching and then I just wrote to Dalton in capital letters. I'm like, was that effing sad? But like, you know, <laughs> so. I, yeah. So I watched this episode last night and, mm-hmm. you know, Zeb shows up and, and I'm like, okay, that sounds like him. That looks yeah. like him. But then I wanted to check in the double, in the credits and I was like, yep, that's, that's, that's him. him. He's yeah. named, um, yeah. which is, I knew, I knew Lauren was going to lose her mind because when we, we did our Star Wars top 100 characters rankings, that was the one that she fought very hard to, to get in and to find, to find and, on and, the place. And the, the problem was, is that, Lauren forgot about Zeb. That's 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 a, for such an no, unforgettable. No, I didn't. I was I was okay. trying to get him in, but like I think I was like big. I was trying to get him in over like Bigs Darklighter or something, and I got <laughs> shot down. And I'm ah, so mad. Justice about for it. Bigs, but okay. Yeah, because yeah, I thought the way no. I remembered it is that we had the hundred locked. And then you're like, oh my god, we didn't get Zeb in. And I was like, Lauren, we have too many, we have too many rebels people in here already. No, like, I think, I, I think I was, it was really like I was trying to toss uh, Biggs Dark. How could you do it with that. a mustache? You're gonna get rid of Biggs yeah, like I that? I don't care. I mean, I come on, Biggs. you're talking about someone who had one little thing versus someone who had several seasons. No, mm. but I'm still mad. Zeb's a great character. It was great to see him, and mm-hmm. and I, I do think again, like now that then that leads the question to be. Is Zeb going to show up in Ahsoka, right? Like, is this, are they yeah. planting more seeds for Ahsoka? I, I would find it, now that they've brought him into live action, there's no way they can't have him on Ahsoka. Yeah, it's like, well, why would you do all that CGI? And it looked right. CGI. I have to go yes. back and look at it, but it looked CGI. It didn't look like a guy. Because there was a lot of great makeup in this episode, but Zeb definitely looked like he was CGI over. And I think it's possibly just because Zeb is so huge that it's hard to get, I, you I, know, someone well, to I think, do that. I wonder too, Lauren, if it's like, you know, if you're just making up, some kind of creature relatively so you can just put him in any kind of suit but when you already have that creature existing in a exact precise animated form it might in a weird way be easier to cgi i also think probably whatever the human head shape is would not match to like whatever the uh, underneath it would probably not match to what zeb's like facial structure is so it might just easier be easier to uh to to make it like make it cgi so it actually really looks like zeb so so what's his position here i mean like is like we we... yeah it seemed like he was working with like he had the uh the new republican signing on him so it seemed like he was definitely part of the new republic and uh, like i mean this seemed like it was the pilot corps so i'm it seems like zeb is a pilot so and look i'm interested if we'll see agent callus here or agent callus will pop up right but yeah. Um, Adelphi base is kind of banging, by the way. If you're going to get stationed yeah. somewhere, like, that's pretty. The drinks are flowing, yeah. you know, <laughs> the music's going. Like, everybody's just, every, like, a distress call comes in and everybody's like, eh, whatever. So whatever. We'll do it. I mean, like, what some of those, I would think that some of those New Republic, you know, you know, uh, po- uh, pilots would have been like, yeah, we'll go with you to Navarro. We got nothing to do right now. So. It, at, for, at first, when they first went on the planet, I was like, is that Scarif? You know, because it does definitely. Yeah, I was curious as to what it was. Yeah. So, but I mean, look, it's tropical. Look, if I was a, you know, a former member of the Rebel Alliance and I had been like stationed on Hoth or whatever, I would be like, great. So for our next base, we're going to go somewhere warm and tropical um, Mm -hmm. with a bar 
and we can just hang out. And also, I love that, you know, we, we, we saw this in the first season where, you know, like you mentioned, you know, Rick and Dave and all of these, these creatives, you know, kind of made brief cameos as, as New Republic pilots. Um, and I love that because I'm like, okay, if I was making a Star Wars show and I was going to make, you know, a, a cameo myself, you know, I think that would be kind of a fun thing to do. You know, I would be mm-hmm. like, yeah, I want to be a pilot. I want to fly an X-Wing. I want to, you know, wear the yeah, orange either, jumpsuit. Either you want to be a Jedi or you want to be a, like, you know, exactly. a pilot if you're, yeah, if you're going to pick it out. So exactly. Yeah. What about you guys? Jedi or pilot? Jedi. I go Jedi. Jedi. Yeah. Really? I yeah. would want to be. I would want to be a pilot. Although yeah. I mean, only unless, like I said, I've said this before. Only if oh. I bl- if I can blow up Porkin style, then maybe pilot. <laughs> like if I can literally be like, I can't shake him, and all of a sudden there's like sparks <laughs> flying in the cockpit, and then I just burst into flames. Or if I can suicide run into something, that would be good too. Yeah. Yeah, but just, I also I you know I'm just gonna give a shout out to the Ahsoka lightsaber that I found that isn't Ahsoka's lightsaber, but it's a lightsaber with Ahsoka on it that I bought at Target, <laughs> and then I am now shaking on the end the podcast. It looks like a Pez dispenser, like, Lauren. It literally doesn't, but it is a lightsaber. You know, Ooh, so yeah, that's fancy. you know they had a they had a Boba Fett one too, but of course I'm gonna buy the Ahsoka one. Obviously, but yeah, you know. But I saw that and I was like, I'm buying that. Hold so on, it hold on. Light up, there was a Boba mm-hmm. Fett lightsaber. It has a, it like literally well, has a picture of Boba but Fett. But Boba Fett on... doesn't use a lightsaber. Yeah, I don't understand why, but okay, who cares? Just make sure. Just make, make sure we're on the same page on that one. Uh, are yeah. right, any anything else you guys want to talk about from this episode? Carson Teva, do we want to talk about this guy? Really just going out this guy really loves Navarro or Grief. I don't know if he like owes Grief Carga debt or what's going on, but I think he's just like one of he's he's a good guy. He wants he's to do the right to thing. Do it. He's trying to keep the new republic on track, and he is being foiled by bureaucracy, bureaucracy in any every way, shape, or form. So aren't we all? Um, yeah. But yeah, what yeah. did you guys make of this? Um, you know, kind of uh, end reveal that you know um, uh, Moff Gideon has been kidnapped, presumably by Mandalorians. Do we think it's really Mandalorians, or do you think it's a frame job? Do you think somebody's you know? I, and I, I'll, I mean, I'll pose the question one step further to Lauren. Mm-hmm. If it is Mandalorians, is it people that are helping him or want to hurt him? Right? Is it a group that's that's loyal to this? Because we've seen again, there have been Mandalorians that have worked with the Empire, or is it people yeah. that are that want to just administer their own brand of justice? I think it might be people who want to, uh, like them. Like I know that the the Costa Reeves and uh, Axe Woves were like, I think she mentioned they were mercenaries. Um, but I know, didn't Moff Gideon have something to do with the destruction of Mandalore? So I have a feeling they're probably like, they're like, oh, you want us to get this guy? Sure, but we're going to do something to him. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be surprised if you, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it went either way. But, you know, but I'm glad because it's like the, 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 uh, the seasons kind of lacked a real villain. And so it's kind of like, you know, it's always you know, Star Wars, you need a villain. Because so the, the, what, because the one thing I've wondered is, uh, what's her face on Coruscant? The one who's in the Amnesty program. What's her name, uh, Lauren? Uh, Elliot Elliot King. King. Okay. Yeah. Who's she working with right now? Like she's yeah. clearly, because the way that it acts is that she's working with Moff Gideon. And that's yeah. only really working if Moff Gideon is, like was an, an P- rescued by Mandalorians or someone else rather than, you know, being imprisoned by them. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I think especially because how brutal that that extraction seemed to be, like leaving all these bodies behind. Like that that was kind of creepy when you know they sent yeah. the the probe in and where you know there's all these frozen bodies, you know, floating in space. Um, you know, from from getting you know the airlock blown out or whatever. Um, so I 
I think that that feels more imperial to me, which, or, yeah. you know, kind of like Moff Gideon's crew, which makes me think that, you know, Ilya Kane is, you know, working directly with him and is like super undercover. Um, either that or she's just like really devoted to her job. <laughs> and she's like, he might be dead, but I'm going to keep, you know, yeah. she's so like an imperial mischief. true believer, it seems like. So seems like that's, it. Yeah. Yeah. But I did like that thing where um, the confrontation between Captain Teva and her, where he was like, He's like, you were just captured. Like, you're not, you know, like where he was basically calling her out as an, like an imperial, like, you know, because you have to imagine that there's probably a ton of anger, like with, even though the New Republic's like having this amnesty program, but there's probably a lot of people whose families got killed or murdered or anything by the empire. So, you know, and if they come against an, a former imperial agent, they're not just going to. Be like, oh yes, you know, not everybody is is as forgiving. So I thought that was kind of interesting to see. Right. Like I feel like it's one thing for like a bureaucrat like Tim Meadows to to be like, sure, you're forgiven. You know, you're the amnesty program. I work with you all the time. But it's another thing for somebody who's like actually fought in the rebellion and saw combat and, you know, actually actively yeah. fought against the Empire, um, to now be on the same side as as some of these people. Um, I imagine that's that's difficult. So I'm curious um kind of how things will will shake out. Um yeah, I, I I like this episode. I'm glad we're starting to get a little bit of payoff for some of the threads that we've seen throughout the season. Because um, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know about you guys, but the seasons felt a little bit me- meandering and and yeah. not. I wasn't always quite sure where it was going. So now I'm like, okay, things are happening. Plot is moving. Let's go. Let's see what happens. But also, this season is very not very din heavy, which is kind of interesting because this episode no. was not very din heavy either. I mean, Bogotan's had a much more prominent uh, prominent role in this season, which I like, but I mean. I mean, it, but, you know, didn't really didn't have much to do here. So that's been one of my biggest complaints this season is that mm-hmm. I know, obviously, Pedro Pascal is busy and we have, um, you know, Brendan Wayne and Latif Crowder who also wear the suit. Um, but it, it has been a little weird to me that the show called The Mandalorian is, you know, not necessarily spending that much time with our Mandalorian, the one we know yeah. the best. Um, so I'm, that has been a little bit of a bummer to me. Um, and I hope that Din gets a little bit more to do in the next couple episodes as we, we start to wrap up the season. Yeah. You have to figure they're going to wrap him up by the finale, but again, we could get another sort of episode where, you know, maybe not as much and really even really, I thought we'd be getting more Grogu. I mean, we got the flashback. Yeah, we didn't we, get we got, anything. Yeah. We got the flashback and we got sort of him showing some powers when went, went into the mines. But there really has not been tons of Grogu stuff this season in terms yeah. of in terms of seeing more of his evolution after working apparently for two years with Luke Skywalker. <laughs> like if he's with two years with that dude, I would figure we would be getting more and at least see a more a different Grogu. Right. Like yeah. and other than a few powers, like really not not so much. Not so yeah. much. Yeah. Uh, maybe they like they don't want him to be like you know when you have like a, a, a an actual live action show and then like you have the little kids that are all cute and then they start to get old and like in the family sitcom they get older and kind of awkward so they have to bring in a new cute yeah. kid like the new Sam on different strokes or the new little Rudy <laughs> on the Cosby show because the other one's like getting a little older maybe they just want Oliver on the Brady Bunch yeah exactly exactly it's all that stuff mm-hmm. that's the thing about having a puppet you know he can be he can be baby Yoda forever or Simpsons yeah. you know. Bart Simpson can yeah, be 10 years much. old forever. Forever The funny thing about The Simpsons was that I was the same age as Bart as when The Simpsons started. Wow. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Wow. 
<laughs> I was in the same grade when the Simpsons You don't look started. a day over 12, Lauren. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much. All right. We're, we're going to have John Favreau and Dave Filoni joining us in, in just in just a minute here to talk about uh, Mandalorian, and we're going to ask them lots of uh, interesting stuff about it. But it, this is a double dose because we got one well, more ways than one because we got the Bad Batch also. It was the season mm-hmm. finale of the Bad Batch. They dropped two episodes uh, I haven't been able to watch it yet, Lauren, uh, but you were slacking me incessantly about it as everything was happening. <laughs> and you could talk about, we're going to, the spoiler, we're getting into spoiler stuff here, people. Yeah, we're getting into spoiler territory, but let, let, so. But before we get into a big, a b- very big thing that happened on the show, let's talk about what people that don't watch The Bad Batch might be interested in, in that they brought in a character from a live action show, uh, in fact, from uh, or a movie. Uh, and there was a sort of a big Rogue One sort of tie-in here that might interest some people. Tell us who we saw from Rogue One. So there was this big meeting uh, uh, with uh, Moff Tarkin, and he had Dr. Hemlock, who we know is leading up this mysterious clone program. Uh, but as they were going around the, like, you know, and they were sitting around the table like Imperials like to do, chatting. And at one point, they cut, and I was like, that person looks like Worsen Krennic. And then they cut again, and I was like, "Yeah, that does." And then at one, and, and Moff Tarkin goes, uh, "Director Krennic," and I was like, "Damn, that's him!" And uh, and literally, they got Ben Mendelsohn, and it was Ben Mendelsohn who <gasps> came in and said one line to talk about Project Stardust, which, as we know, is uh, the uh, the Death Star project. Uh, and that was Stardust was, uh, you know, Jen Erso's nickname from her father. So like literally they got Ben Mendelsohn to do one line. So I assume he was just doing ADR for something Marvel related and they just asked him to do this. And, you know, so but you did see a uh, director Krennic for just a very short scene. Um, but uh, it was kind of interesting to finally see him uh, in uh, animation. And then we also saw. Uh, although he came in from animation first, we saw Saw Gerrera who showed up and blew up. Uh, although the um, the Bad Batch was trying to get Dr. Hemlock to find out where Crosshair was being uh, kept. Uh, Saw Gerrera also was there at the time and he was like, I don't really care. I'm blowing this base up. And so Saw basically blew the goddamn base up as the chaos agent that he was. And um, and that, that was kind of where the first episode sort of uh, ended. Uh, but yeah, so there was, there was a various Rogue One elements going on in, uh, in the first, uh, part of the season finale, I, but then there was part two. I can't so. wait to watch, uh, both parts, but, but start sticking with part one first. Um, mm-hmm. unless you are certified Rogue One hater, Devin Kogan, uh, you, you will. <laughs> that would be Dar- I think that would be Darren Franish because he really hated Rogue One. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'll just a shout out that I was saying this to Lauren too, um, if you're like dorky enough like me to want to read a prequel to the what was a prequel, uh, yeah. there's this book Cataclysm that's very good. And it tells all about the construction. Oh, Catalyst, I think, because Catalysm is the new oh, one. Oh, right, right. See, out. I keep mi- missing yeah, those yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Catalyst. Yeah. Catal- Cataclysm is the new High Republic book. Catalysm is, uh, and it's basically the B- Project Stardust. And it's basically the building mm-hmm. of the Death Star and all this stuff. And you get all this stuff, as you see in the movie, Rogue One, but Krennic and Tarkin and how much they hate each other and like, going head to head and one wanting to usurp power from the other. It's a, it's a pretty cool book. So um, check that out. Also, I'm not, I mean, I'm a, I know. I'm not as rapturous about Rogue One as many people. We don't have time to completely relitigate it, but I do love my boy, Ben Mendelsohn. I will watch Mm -hmm. Ben Mendelsohn in literally everything. I love him. He didn't have a cape in this one. He he was just purely capeless. That was was my first question because I assume, 
Yeah, I assume he took the cape off when he came in. But So good. One of the top mm-hmm. tier Star Wars capes. I would say him, Lando, and honestly, I might add Grief Karga from, from this See, season. you know, Krennic's cape is a little wrinkly to me. I wish they had had picked a, a harder, a, a little firmer weight for his cape. Because I keep mm. looking at it, and I'm like, someone should have steamed that. But that's just me. So, oh, but when know. he's like strutting down, you know, long hallways I mean, and it's billowing works behind it. him. I, it's mostly just a technical aspect of, I'm like, oh, they should have picked a heavier weight cape. But that's <laughs> I don't know why you guys fair. are yeah. haters on uh, on Riva's cape. I really liked Riva's cape. I thought oh, that no, was like, great. She had really a nice well cape. She had a nice cape. Yeah. I will like say Star cape. Wars does... Star Wars is actually filled with a lot of good capes that, you know, they really do believe in, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like also Obi-Wan dropping his, like, you know, well, that was more of a robe drop, but it kind of functioned as a cape. It's basically like capes and bionic arms. That's like it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind of the, the Star Wars vibe. Um, anyway, I butchered the name. So just Catalyst is the name of that book. If you want to go check that out, if you're feeling. All right, uh, Lauren, real quickly, um, again, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Uh, Part two of the finale of Bad Batch. Lauren and I were arguing is a strong word, uh, but about mm-hmm. this a little bit over something that happened. I haven't even watched it, and I'm already telling her um, that she's wrong about thinking what happened. So why don't you explain, <laughs> Lauren? So, okay. So since uh, Saul made everything blow up, he also, the um, the uh, Bad Batch was in the middle of an escape on a long wired, uh, you know, it's like basically one of those things you see in Disney World that the the thing that it's it's on the wire and it flies it flies by like a, a a train train thing, and but it stops them and then they're trying to escape it and get it started again because they there are uh, stormtroopers coming the other way trying to shoot them and uh, in the process of trying to escape, uh, tech so looks like tech dies. Um, because he winds up uh, hanging off the thing and it's unbalancing the whole sort of train car. And he basically uh, uh, basically says he's enacting Plan 99, which is the episode's name, which basically Plan 99 was if, uh, if the survival of one of the Batch members would um, endanger the rest of the Batch, they would just sacrifice themselves. So he basically says to, uh, you know, so like Wrecker is trying to save him and uh you know tech just is like you know no this is plan 99 and and like tech's like there was something about like following orders and and then tech responding he's like we've never followed orders so why am i gonna start now and basically like cuts his wire and falls it seems very very far so but he falls into a, a a big sort of clouded you know thing but later on dr hemlock uh presents uh tech's smashed goggles but we don't see the body so of course you know, it's it there's there's no way he's dead. He's he not dead. Survived. But the rest of the Bad Batch currently thinks he's dead. Like Omega gets injured in this as well. And so basically the rest of the Bad Batch is treating them as dead. This could be an echo situation and we find out he's alive and in, you know, Dr. Hemlock's little cloning facility later on. But as for right now, it seems like tech is. So, uh, Devin, Lauren's like slacking me. They killed Tech. I'm like, no, they didn't. She's like, I mean, he looks pretty dead. I mean, like, this is. <laughs> yeah. I said, Lauren, does this franchise? I mean, I can, I can totally believe that he might come back. I kind of hope they don't because it. No, it was of course he will. Because look at this franchise. I mean, look at the evidence and mountain yeah, of evidence for true. you. They literally did this with another member of Clone Troop 99 with Echo. 
on the Clone Wars. That's true. They, I would be curious to hear um, Jennifer Corbett and Brad Rao and whether they unless like not. unless they they we get them on the phone and we can call them up and like and you literally say is he dead and like well you never know like out there <laughs> you never are, know but he's that not was, dead. it was interesting though because uh, Fee who is played by Wanda Sykes. Her and Tech were having a little bit. You could definitely tell there was a little thing going on between them. And so uh, when Tech was taking his leave to go on the mission, she was kind of like chiding him for, you know, Tech was a little bit sort of taken aback by like, you know, her uh, romantic overtures because, you know, he is not super functional and that yeah, kind of robot. stuff. So yeah. it's kind of like they had that like kind of moment. So you're just sort of like, I wouldn't be surprised if they brought him back, but it was, you know, if they didn't, it was a I think Lauren, he's cool coming back. I don't know why you say I won't be surprised. There's no chance he's dead. And let me be Mayday clear about something died. else. There are some clones that Mayday's have died. Mayday is not so. one of the main. Mayday is not one of no, the main. No, he's not one of the main. Let, let, but the thing is, I would be, I would be sad because I think Tech's an interesting character. No, that's what I'm so, saying, Lauren. Here's the here's the yeah. deal. He should be dead. And it's mm-hmm. I sound terrible saying this. I want him to be dead. I want him to be dead because yeah. I want this franchise <laughs> to stop doing fake deaths. They're yeah, cheap. It's a fake death. It's, it, it, they're cheap. It's emotional. Like. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, it's just, it, it's the easiest way to have a big moment. And then you don't have the guts to live with the consequences of that decision. Yeah. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And I'm saying that even feeling as you do, that Tech's a great character. He's my, I think he's the second best character in the Bad Batch. And you know who I think the first mm-hmm. one is. And, and so I love the character, but if you're going to do it, go through do it. with it. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. But they won't. So. Yeah, I, I mean, it is, you know, it is a show for kids. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back. I will be disappointed. <laughs> like, so. you're like, time to assassinate people on this show for kids. Like, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so outside of, you know, the thing is, though, the Bad Batch and Omega think Tech is dead. So they get back to uh, Sid's base. Sid has sold them out to Dr. Hemlock because of the various things that have been going on with Sid this season. Um, and uh, Hunter tries to get Echo to escape or not Echo, Omega to, to escape. Because Dr. Hemlock wants Omega because Nala say the Kaminoan who's doing all the cloning stuff won't do anything. And he thinks if he has uh, Omega to threaten, then he can get her to do it. Um, and basically, it was all kind of battling and stuff, kind of fights. But about Dr. Hemlock winds up getting uh, get, getting Omega. Um, Echo, uh, Wrecker, and Hunter are all sort of back together. They're they're. The, their goal is to try and find her. Um, they have no idea where she is. They have no idea where this cloning base is. And when we go to the cloning base, um, uh, when uh, Omega's taken to the cloning base, Hemlock talks to Nala Say and is like, I want you to work on the Emperor's cloning project. And ah. Nala Say was like, what? Yeah, she's like, he, she's like, what the Emperor wants is impossible. And he's like, make it possible. So I'm pretty sure... Nala say is trying to work on making a another somehow you know, he will return body. Lauren yeah. somehow, somehow he will return. <laughs> so Let's we're go. seeing how he finally returned so and you and you go in and, and there's a lot of like all of the various clones that they've captured including crosshair are in there but there's a lot of things that look like various vats with beings in them uh so I mean basically this seems like they're trying to engineer a second palpatine body so he can transfer his consciousness and blah, 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 all right you know all of that kind of stuff so that this seems like this is definitely where you know the vat of snokes and all of that is coming from so well like i don't like anyway. it's so interesting the way that oh oh okay yeah, excuse sorry. me no. <laughs> please <laughs> Lord, the, the floor is one yours thing, though, the final <laughs> the final thing is emery uh who has been dr hemlock's assistant uh comes face to face with omega and reveals right. that she's Omega's older sister 
And she's actually played by Keisha Cashel Hughes, who yes. was, I think, a, was in one of the, the original prequel trilogies. She was. But she is of, yeah, yeah. But she is of also Mari descent. And she said she, so I think she is a female clone who has been rapidly aged, whereas Omega hasn't been. So she revealed that she is related to Omega and basically the rest of the clones. So that was how the episode ended. Devin, but anyway, rem- so rem- going back to. Rem- remember how we talked last week about how there's just more and more Jedi that weren't killed during Order 66? Yeah. There's so this many. This is like the version there's so of there's more and more clones, like just like different kind yeah. of clones. We got girl clones. We got kid clones. We got adult <laughs> like. It's just like more and more clones Eventu- are out there. Eventually Ray's dad is going to, yeah, I assume, yeah, show up yeah, here yeah. somewhere. There's that as well. So just as, as someone ends. As someone nicknamed him, I know he's not named this now because they've actually named him, but someone, I think, right after Rise of Skywalker called him Brian Palpatine. And so ever <laughs> since then, I just call him Brian Palpatine. I, 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 <laughs> I think he, he the... has an official name now, but I just still call him Brian Palpatine. Yeah, just, just some guy named Brian. <laughs> Brian Ralph. Palpatine. Uh, yeah. I, I swear we're going to get to Filoni and Favreau in just a second. But it's, it's really yeah. interesting that they're, whether you watch the cartoons or not, that they're really making such an emphasis to go in the cloning direction, knowing yeah. like how underwhelmed everyone was by the Palpatine clone storyline and rise of Skywalker. Trying, like why would they really double down on that? Retro, they're trying to retroactively make it interesting or like it made any kind of sense. And I'm sort of like, like when we saw that, that thing with Dr. Pershing on the Mandalorian, I'm like, you really are trying to make this Palpatine cloning thing like actually make sense in a logical thing rather than just being well, like, it's, I don't know, J.J. Abrams came up with it. It's like but. that weird thing where like if you had a character on a show that wasn't working, you really have yeah. two sort of ways you can go. You can try to fix the character or you just cut bait. You just like li- yeah. write them off the show. This isn't working. Whatever. It's it's our fault. Like the writers' when they, performance. They killed Nikki, Nikki and Paula. Right. It's <laughs> just like oh, these aren't. Or working. on the like the good wife when they got rid of Kalinda's weird husband from Canada or whatever. Like they just yeah. like let's get. And they they said that the kings were like, yeah, that was not working. The audience spoke to us. We got him out of there. But it's like they're trying the opposite. They're trying to like you know like I guess make rise of skywalker make a little more sense but i just don't know if it's worth it i don't know anyone you have to care about the destination to want to take the journey and i'm not sure people really care about this destination yeah i mean it's kind of like how on the animation side the the clone wars made the prequels interesting again you know uh, the clone wars took so many of the things that a lot of people hated about the prequels and made them interesting and gave them depth and fleshed them out and but i think part of that was like you said dalton it's because we cared about the end destination we cared about you know that the clone wars was leading up to this ultimate betrayal where anakin betrays obi-wan and and goes to the dark side whereas i don't really care about the vada snokes i don't really care about somehow palpatine returned um you know, so so I'm curious to see kind of how how this continues and and kind of what what comes next. All right. Well, we'll have another. We'll, we'll we got to wait till the next season comes out to find out where it's going. But maybe we'll get some answers possibly at Star Wars Celebration, which is coming up uh, very soon, and we will have lots of content for you. We have another show before that happens, but that is coming up around the corner in London, and we will be there getting lots of great stuff for you. All right. Speaking of great stuff, it's not every week that we have the two big shots running The Mandalorian on our show, but it is this week. Uh, I had a chance to chat with Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni about season three of The Mandalorian. 
I had actually asked them whether any members of the uh, Ghost Crew might show up, which one just did. We also talked about if we might be seeing a live-action Cal Kestis at any point and how many seasons of The Mandalorian they want to do. If you want to hear straight from the source, then stay tuned because we have John Favreau and Dave Filoni coming up right after this quick break. Season three is finally here. You guys have uh, saw you got scripts already for season four. So obviously I'm wondering, how long is this show going to go? How long in your eyes do you see this, the Mandalorian going on? How many seasons are we looking at? I've really enjoyed working with this group of people and these characters. And as the story starts to fill up from the time period becomes uh, uh, much more clear because of the stories that we've told over the previous years and then. And in both the Book of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian, as well as Ahsoka and Skeleton Crew, we're starting to get a really rich backdrop for these stories to be told. And so that's very inspiring to me. And I love collaborating with all these different filmmakers and different storytellers, both uh, from the directors we work with and other showrunners like Dave and, and like John Watts and Chris Ford. So I don't I don't know what's going <laughs> to what would make me not enjoy doing it, especially as long as the audience is connecting with these characters. This feels like a really enjoyable moment. And I love this format of telling one chapter at a time and keeping the audience guessing, but also fulfilling certain expectations. It's it's a really wonderful format. And you really grow to appreciate having such a good team around you that for each new film, you would have to assemble. But now we get to inherit this great group of talented people that we could work with every year. And Dave, as John's talking about these shows sort of merging and mixing together, uh, we know we ha- do have the Ahsoka series coming up. So with that in mind, should we expect any members of the Ghost Crew to be showing up on Season 3 of The Mandalorian at all? Oh, I don't know. You never know. I mean, it's a big galaxy. We try to keep it feeling like a big galaxy. Um, I think it's always the same. If there's opportunity, if it makes sense, if we're in a certain place and you go, well, that person would be there, then great. You know, and if there's a purpose for them, we have a lot of conversations about, you know, who could show up where, um, even just generally on characters that maybe wouldn't be as obvious to people because, you know, growing up with Star Wars, there is a history there. There are a bunch of characters almost anywhere you look on the timeline. And it's, it's always a question of, should we use that character? Or is it just somebody else? Sometimes it's, it's exciting, equally exciting to make someone new. You know, no one knew Mando, no one knew Grogu before John plucked them out of the stars. And, and here they are, these probably bedrock characters for many people as much as, uh, Luca and Han and Leia were for me as a kid. So. And George kept adding characters too. He that, always added characters. He added Boba yeah. Fett, Darth Maul, like the new characters arguably are some of the f- little, favorites. little news, the best way when it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Balance. Well, the- well, let me ask you about more recent history then, because, Uh-oh. you know, there's a new Star Wars Jedi video game coming out. Seems like a reasonable time for me to ask if you guys have talked about bringing Cal Kestis and the Mantis crew to life at some point in some show. Has that been discussed at all? Well, we did have our little uh, <laughs> our little robot in there, our little droid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. What, what did we name him? 71? Uh, BD, BD-71? You, I would have named a penguin number like Crosby. <laughs> I'd have called it 87. Uh, we, we really appreciate all the good Star Wars stories that are being told across multimedia mm-hmm. and one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of about what we're able to accomplish with the show is to pull in different sets of characters and storylines and each generation and each group connects with a different aspect of Star Wars. And, and I love that we are able to incorporate things that I remember from when I was 10, 
things that feel like deep cuts and Easter eggs of things like the rifle that he uses was from the holiday special, the the Camtono, the ice cream maker from Will Rowe Hood, <laughs> like, and then having prequels, sequels, Clone Wars, and even uh, expanded universe aspects that we could all pull into our show so that there's something for everybody, no matter what you connect with, with Star Wars. Uh, this is a place where all, all the Star Wars fans are welcome and hopefully they're enjoying the show. Obviously, you guys brought younger Luke back to life last season with the using the, the sort of the CGI, the respeacher technology. Is that something you'd be interested in revisiting uh, with other original trilogy characters? Or was that just kind of a very special one off that fit really well with that story? I, I think for me, Luke made the most sense, you know, when we're dealing with a young force wielding character in Grogu and you say who would be the absolute best mentor uh, you know, for him, it's obviously Luke in this time period. And so that was a big discussion. We talked to Mark, you know, we talked to Kathleen Kennedy. We said, these are the, we're thinking of bringing Luke in. What do you guys think of that? It's a big deal uh, because, you know, we all care about those characters because they're George's characters and they have their history. They did what they needed to do, but obviously he'd be a great caretaker for a young Grogu. So it was a challenging thing to do having directed that one particular episode where he showed up quite a bit. And, you know, I don't know, I'd be very careful about whenever we use that technology and, but mainly those characters, it's just a good way to take care of them. There are all kinds of ways to have characters show up that don't even need to be on screen and you can feel their presence or they're active in, you know, in our time, time period. So I don't know, it, it really just is what's the demand of the story and how well do we think we can do it? That's basically what it comes down to. Well, how is that story moving forward as a result of that? Like, John, how has Grogu now changed in season three after meeting Ahsoka, training with Luke? What are his powers now looking like? Well, I think that, you know, he has benefited tremendously by the time spent with Luke Skywalker. And although he ultimately chose not to forego the central relationship and bond that he had developed and attachment he had developed to the Mandalorian and opted to leave uh, Luke's, you know, uh, the fledgling academy that he's developing to train young Jedi and went off to rejoin Din Djarin, the Mandalorian. He did spend time with one of the best, you know, one of the, one of the most powerful Jedi and best teachers. And I think that Luke, what we demonstrated was that there was a, an understanding between the two of them because Luke has been marched a bit to the beat of his own drummer. I don't know that he holds all of the Jedi teachings to be as literal he 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 has also formed friendships as well. And I think he appreciated in Grogu that he really wanted to go off and be with his his friend, just like Luke, when he was younger, had wanted to help his friends out and left his training with Yoda. So I think Luke was able to pack a lot of training into that period of time. We've also spent two years apart from them. You know, we checked in with them a little bit in Book of Boba Fett. But enough time has been spent that you could, you're going to see a significant change in this character because he's no longer the helpless infant that the Mandalorian first encountered. Uh, Deva, you got a long history with Bo-Katan, that character. Bo-Katan wants to rule Mandalore, but Din has the Darksaber, which gives him that claim. So what does that mean for their relationship in season three? Well, that's a tough one. You know, Katie and I had a lot of talks about it. She She knows that character inside out. Uh, it's a character that obviously goes uh, way back for her and I. And, you know, originally we had dreams of maybe one day it becoming live action and here it is. So, you know, she's a, she's a tough character. She's definitely been a warrior her whole life. Uh, and I think it's a challenging thing. Obviously in season two, she likes 
uh, Din Djarin, but, you know, there, there's obviously also a conflict of interest there with, with the Darksaber and what it means iconically for her, what it represents for Mandalore. So, you know, easy ways to say season three, just watch it. That's the best thing. I always say it's not as fun to hear me tell the story as it is to watch the story. So, uh, just stay tuned and, and see what happens. I gotta know, Dave, will the, Will there be a Trapper Wolf appearance in season oh, three? Oh, gosh. <laughs> we want the show to be good. Now, that's the question. <laughs> you should have started with that one. <laughs> Our thanks to John Favreau and Dave Filoni for hanging out with us this week. And thank you for hanging out with us. We love hanging out. And we would also love it if you could please follow and rate and review the podcast. If you do so, we'll read your review and give you a shout out right here on the pod. You can connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross, at Devin Kogan, and at Morglore. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.